Addiction treatment healthcare is vast territory, much of it having yet to be fully charted. It also is a field with some of the most passionate and interesting of clinicians. Each week, we walk the addiction treatment trails, learning from experts of all backgrounds and specialties. My name is Pat Failing, and I'm an addiction psychiatrist for Cedar in the University of Colorado. You're listening to Through the Trees, the Cedar Addiction Treatment Podcast. Halfway through our first season of Through the Trees, I wanted to reflect on the themes of our episodes thus far. When I first set out to build this podcast for Cedar in the University of Colorado Hospital, I wanted it to provide two primary services. Number one, educating patients, families, and other clinicians about some of the inner workings of high-end addiction treatment. And then number two, introducing our listeners to the people who deliver the care at Cedar. Our first episode, I sat down with addiction medicine physician Dan Bebo, talking about the alcoholism detox process. This window of time is crucial for new patients, both in the areas of building a working relationship and also baseline safety. We have patients who experience seizures when trying to quit alcohol. We have even more people walk out of treatment before it even begins. Engagement on the front lines is made possible by the work of such physicians as Dr. Bebo and our accomplished nursing team. The medical piece of severe addiction can't be overlooked. As people are drinking or using substances more heavily, their brain gradually distorts. For anyone who doesn't know, we have many people entering treatment who may consume as much as a handle a day of hard alcohol. Do you grasp how much alcohol is in a handle? It's about 39 drinks. 39 drinks! Just for a reference point, the quantity of alcohol deemed a binge by the CDC is four drinks in a sitting for a woman and five for a man. Our second episode featured the two primary leaders of our family program, Alyssa Dreyer and Kimberly Thompson. I wanted to emphasize through this episode that our services go beyond that of direct clinical care. The family program somewhat serves as an indirect approach. We host this every two weeks, and it consists of about 36 hours of dedicated education and group support for alcoholism and addiction-affecting families. Prior to the 1960s, all of psychotherapy was really focused on the individual. Some of the history of this included such giants as Carl Jung, Freud, Melanie Klein, amongst others. Their theoretical model all held to some core beliefs. You could learn about yourself and build a greater sense of introspection, and through this could live a life more based on choice. If you saw your patterns and held greater insight, you would actually experience a lessened anxiety in many areas of your life. New approaches in the 60s started to emphasize someone's emotional health and well-being more in the area of a system. 
most commonly a family system. And this could include all different ways a family might exist. A psychologist at this time was named Stephen Karpman. He was actually a student about to graduate. He published a paper discussing what he called transactional analysis. It introduced ideas of what we call the drama triangle, emphasized roles that family members commonly assume, and the concept of building insight greater than that of the individual. The Cedar Family Program really drives home these themes. Recovery of the family is necessary and leads to a greater sense of healing than simply recovery of the individual. Now don't get me wrong, we need to use a medically safe and scientific approach to help a person's brain stabilize, but long-term results always look at bigger picture ideas. For our third episode, I sat down with Barry Platter and we delved into DBT and the 12 steps, a model she developed to provide greater integration for these therapy modalities. One of the biggest take-home messages from this podcast is the concept of a life worth living. Both of these common therapy pathways seek a generally similar end goal. This helps remind us of the suffering someone experiences knee-deep in addiction. They often feel that their life is not worth living. The misery is too unbearable. Both DBT and 12-step approaches emphasize hope and themes of acceptance. Many clinicians across the country are well-trained in DBT. This is a flagship form of therapy offered by people of varying skill levels, clinical centers, individuals, and groups. Fewer people have an in-depth understanding of 12-step. A form of counseling called 12-step facilitation is actually a structured approach to help people seek out, understand, and engage in a peer support program, such as AA or NA, which are Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. Sadly, most clinicians just say a general phrase such as, quote, you should go to an AA meeting. By having a deeper understanding of the principles of these programs, any clinician can guide a patient more effectively and reach a higher conversion rate for someone taking the time to visit a meeting or outreach a peer in the program. The DBT and the 12-steps approach serve as an additional guide for clinicians. And if we can help people understand the treatments to a greater degree of detail, their unconscious enthusiasm for those avenues goes up. This ultimately leads to more people using the resources available to them. And I think that that is ultimately what this is all about. For our fourth podcast, we bridge some of the themes of DBT with other sorts of therapy. Focusing on principles of mindfulness with John Hardman, one of our counselors at Cedar, we spend some time briefly practicing the mindfulness therapy. We introduce the concept of mindfulness and distinguish this from meditation. This is a very common misconception for the general public. In many ways, mindful practices can be easier to implement than pure meditation, 
is they can be very active and engaging. You can be mindful cooking dinner, mindful mowing the lawn, mindful on your drive to work. All this really requires is staying very present and letting go of judgments. Mindfulness really has expanded in clinical care over the past 30 years. Embraced and promoted through dialectical behavioral therapy as an extension of Eastern philosophies, we found that people who live more mindfully experienced a greater sense of peace and in many ways a higher life performance. Some neurological research into the field of mindfulness showed that people who engaged in daily mindfulness practices actually had greater dopamine function and cerebral activity in the front part of the brain, called the prefrontal cortex. Why do we care so much about this area? It is responsible for executive function, impulse control, and complex decision-making. We think of this very much as helping us make good decisions. For instance, how to avoid eating the cookie and sticking to our diet. Or what we emphasize in addiction treatment so much being the ability to avoid substance use and avoid high-risk situations. Another often overlooked area involving the front of the brain is its ability to help us with emotional regulation. We can think of historical cases, such as the most flagrant being that of Phineas Gage, who in 1848 had a railroad iron blast through his head. He lived the rest of his life functioning as somewhat of the wild man around town. Many people forget that he also reportedly experienced significant emotional lability until the time of his death, which was 12 years later at age 36. So to connect this together, we know from other neurobiology research and brain imaging that extensive alcohol and drug use will dampen down the front of the brain, leading to more emotional dysregulation and impulsivity. Through mindfulness practices, we can actually help the patient functioning in a more organized and goal-directed fashion, as well as manage emotions more effectively. Our most recent fifth podcast episode featured Alex Korath, the director of our women's branch at CEDAR. In this episode, we look at the contrasting themes of inpatient residential treatment as compared to outpatient harm reduction care. We drive home the idea of meeting people where they're at, gradually bolstering change over time. For clinicians and families, frustrations often mount around addiction treatment. We see this all the time and experience it ourselves as clinicians. By accurately identifying a patient's stage of change, we can tailor a treatment approach that is more appropriate for them. This has the potential for creating very positive momentum as it allows the client to move towards next step goals and actually reach them. Sadly, many addiction treatment programs around the country do not, in their actions, work with people across a full continuum of change. They will use language around, quote, meeting someone where they're at. But the notion of harm reduction can be almost blasphemous for these programs. 
At CEDAR, we actively put into place initiatives such as harm reduction options for highly resistant patients. Examples of this include our Narcan distribution program, which gives patients or their families naloxone medication, which is the antidote to help someone survive an opioid overdose. These options for patients are safe and life-saving, and an old-world mentality of, quote, you're just preparing them to fail, is too simplistic for our tastes. Addiction is a chronic, relapsing, and remitting condition. By helping people have access to safety protocols when they are at their sickest, we help those people have more and more chances to stabilize, recover, and build a life worth living. Experience the compassionate care of CEDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation. Located at the University of Colorado Hospital, we manage complex health needs in addition to addiction. To learn more, visit cedarcolorado.org. So what do all of these five podcasts have in common? A theme I wanted to emphasize for all of our listeners connects back to some of the most fascinating clinical research of all. A paper by David Orlinsky in 2004 titled 50 Years of Psychotherapy Process Outcome Research looks at many different styles of therapy and everything boils down to a key ingredient for success, that of a therapeutic alliance predicting health outcomes. A therapeutic alliance involves a treatment relationship with a clinician and a patient featuring ingredients of trust, collaboration, and a shared goal. As much as 90% of the success of therapy comes more from the relationship between the clinician and client than of the specific therapy modality being superior to another modality. This not only applies to therapy, but to peer support programs as well. AA, NA, Smart Recovery, Life Ring, Celebrate Recovery, uh, the LDS Recovery Community, all of these forms of healing from addiction offer generally similar results. It's about the people. Cedar's team is people. People who deliver clinical care to individuals and families. People who have different forms of training including physicians, nurses, psychologists, therapists, etc. CEDAR offers a spiritual counseling approach, an intensive physical fitness approach, and an ongoing coaching algorithm. Each of these services is ultimately delivered by a person. Whether you are working with Dr. Bebo to help you safely walk through alcoholism detox, attending our family support workshop with Alyssa and Kimberly, working with Barry Platter for individual skill-building sessions in the areas of DBT and the 12 steps, practicing mindfulness techniques with John Hardman, or designing a reachable set of goals in line with your stage of change with Alex Korath. Healing comes through the relationship. Thank you for listening to Through the Trees, the Cedar Addiction Treatment Podcast. Please visit cedarcolorado.org for a wide array of educational content 
about the disease of addiction and the science of recovery. If you or a loved one are considering CEDAR in the University of Colorado Hospital for treatment, please speak with our admissions team at 720-848-3000. CEDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation, helping people build a life of recovery.